As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm delighted to be joined today by John McKenzie. Hi, John. Hi, Joe. Yes, and to my left here, two fabulous guests as ordinary as as ordinarily <laughs> here, not ordinary person, but as is ordinarily here, it's Seb Stafford Blore. Hi, Seb. Hi, Joe. That was really well done. Thank, thank you. Thank yeah, you very much. Nice. Very nice. smooth. Yes. Um, and we're all, I'm sure, we can, I can and speak for all of us, delighted to welcome Mr. Michael Bailey, the Athletics Norwich City writer, and during the tournament, spending a lot of time with Tifo, Michael. Yes, I'm just here. Just loitering. You're just loitering. For the World Cup. It's working Glory. out well for you, isn't uh, yeah, it? Yeah, well, here I am. Yeah. It took you, took you five days? Six days. What day is it? Seven. Seven. It's oh, day seven. Even worse. Well, there we go. Michael Bailey's here, and we're pleased about that. Um, lots to discuss today. We've just watched Argentina win a game. Uh, so that's interesting. Australia uh, won all game. Also very, very impressive that was. We'll come to talk about that. France too uh, won Denmark. And of course, the Saudi Arabia Poland game happened earlier too. We're going to ask Michael some uh, general questions about the tournament a little bit later on. And we're going to play Points Are Bad. What was your favourite thing about the day, John? My favourite thing about the day was hanging out with Michael Bailey. <laughs> right. That's. I mean, I tell you what. The perfect segue is available there, because if you want to hang out with Michael Bailey, albeit in written form, uh, then you can do that by visiting theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, where you can find all of Michael's excellent writing. And if you're not a Norwich City fan or don't care about them at all, there are plenty of other writers who write about other teams, although you will be missing out on Michael's superb work, I have to say. It's fine. Yeah. Check in from now and then, even if you're not a Norwich fan, though, I should say. Yeah. yeah. Obviously. Obviously. Yeah. And if you're a supporter of the US men's national team, you'll find Michael Bailey talking about Josh Sargent a lot. And we'll speak about him later, won't we? Oh, yes, please. Yes, please. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Josh Sargent, World Cup correspondent. That's Official true. title. Yeah. Is he? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah no, that's well, I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow, that's, that, that should have been the advert. It's kind of live information, though. It's more fun that way. Who else have they got? Um, they, they've got a few other columnists, haven't they, The Athletic, for the World Cup? Yeah, they've got Yaya Toure. Um, uh, Jesse Marsh. Marsh is a columnist, your, your favourite, John. Uh, Mauricio Pochettino is a columnist. Oh. Yeah, there's loads of, loads of great ones. Wow. Yeah. Yaya Toure was a columnist for the Euros as well and wrote that excellent article about players using their bums in football. Yeah, we converted that into a video. It did. Yeah. Uh, people seem to enjoy that, which yeah. was great. It was a very, very good piece of work. There you go. Well, anyway, that's <coughs> The Athletic. So uh, go and sign up there. You can get a, a, currently a very exciting deal of £1 per month for six months. So you can try it out for virtually nothing. Um, theathletic.com. 
forward slash TIFO. TIFO, yes. But for now, ladies and gentlemen, I'll leave you in the warm hands and the oh-so-cool, crystal-cool embrace of Mr. Michael Bailey. Yes. Okay, where else to start but Argentina 2, nil Mexico. Now, it's nice that Argentina got a win, John, but around 80 minutes into this game, you said, and I quote, I'm starting to think that Argentina aren't the favourites for this <laughs> tournament. Why, why did you say that? Yeah, it's it's not been a great tournament for them so far. I suppose it's only been two games, but yeah, they lost to Saudi Arabia and struggled, I think, in large parts of the game today against Mexico. And... Uh, I think a lot of that has got to do with the way that they've approached this game. So on the board, in, fr- in the board in front of me, I, I usually say that over there, but I'm saying it here today. Mm. Uh, I've got the Argentina team set up. They played in a 4-4-2 diamond today. So we call that a 4-4-2 diamond because, let me draw the lines on. We've got a little diamond here in the midfield. But obviously oh, yes. what this does is it makes it makes the, the pitch quite narrow. So we've got areas here and here where, where there's no coverage. Um, and of course, by here and here, you mean in the wide areas? No, actually, no. Oh. No, yeah, I do. No, he does mean that. I just wanted to make you look... Even more torture for the listeners to this podcast. Yes. So it's a very narrow formation, and and so it means that you are compromised on on either side. Um, Obviously, Argentina are going to try and get through the middle because they have Lionel Messi as as their important player, one of the greatest players to ever have lived, if not the greatest. Um, So they wanted to get through the middle, but Mexico, I think they were quite smart in how they approached this game because they... Um, they sat a little bit deeper. They went um, in a in a three five two formation, and they overloaded in the central areas because so much of what Argentina was going were going to try and do was was get the ball through the middle. Uh, Messi's the most dangerous player. If you can keep the central areas clagged up, then you'll you'll struggle to score. What was happening in in build up was as well something that JJ mentioned on. Let me get rid of these lines. J- JJ mentioned on Twitter during the game actually is that during build up, so you've got Messi. <laughs> dropping as like a 10. Uh, and then you have these two midfielders here. Guido Rodriguez is playing as a, as a pivot player, but actually what was happening in build-up is that the two centre-backs were splitting and he was dropping in here. Then you've got your two full-backs, neither of whom are particularly actually uh, dangerous in wide areas as well. So you're giving up space in wide areas, but you don't have any particularly dangerous players in those wide areas. And so the problem then becomes is that if it's not working out through the middle and you try and go down the wide area in, into the wide channels, you don't necessarily have the sorts of players who are going to cause problems for, for, for fullbacks. Now Mexico are in a back five, so they've got wingbacks dropping quite deep. Yeah. So they're making sure that they're essentially uh, isolating out these two players. And then it means that you've got to go through the middle. Now, R- Rodriguez, one of the midfielders already dropped in between the two centre-backs. So you're already emptying your, your midfield in, in, in some some uh, sense. Um, and then what we were seeing then was because um, McAllister and, and DePaul were here, that they were sometimes trying to get further forward and to help they out were in the attack. sort of free eights in this Yes, sense, exactly. Right? Yeah. But that means you've got no pivot player. And actually what started happening was Messi was dropping into that into this hole here. So you've got the situation now where you're trying to get through the middle because your most dangerous player is Lionel Messi. Yeah. But Lionel Messi is actually helping you progress the ball. So <laughs> He's almost quite... as far back as the defenders. Yeah, exactly. So I, it, 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 it is problematic because you're trying to build up through the middle. You have to do it quite quickly, I think, to make any, um, any sort of dangerous scenario against this sort of setup. Mm. They don't have the sort of players who are able to do that. 
in the end, Messi starts dropping deep to help progress the ball. And obviously the game turns with Messi scoring from outside the box, just a, an in- incredible um, elite finish that yeah. we know like, Messi can do, but that you don't really want to be in a situation where you're relying on Messi having to pull out a shot from outside the box to yeah. score. So lots of issues really with them in terms of the, the tactical side of things. I'm sorry that I talked for a long time, but I feel as though that, that context is kind of important to the way that they're playing. No, it is for sure. Because, I mean, you know, I think we could see these problems in Argentina's built up in the first half, Seb. When Messi did score a goal, it seemed to be um, perhaps the most efficient form of goal you can imagine. Yeah, it reminded me of his goal uh, from the 2011 Champions League final at Wembley, yeah. where it was 1-1 at the time. And it's kind of Manchester United were, were kind of packing the box a little bit. And he just burst into the, into space and punches a finish. Yeah. It's that injection of, it's not, it's not, injection of class is a bit of a cliche. It's, it's a little bit of urgency and it's a gear change in the match that, that just catches defenders unaware. And I was kind of hoping for a better performance tonight and a better game and a little bit more, um, you know, more opportunity. At the same time, I quite enjoy when Messi just takes control of a game and decides something just because it's a really nice framework for, in my opinion, the greatest player of all time. And to see him do that, to see him settle something, to see also the way his teammates respond to him, the way the crowd responds to him. I think there are, uh, the reports are that there were 88,000 people in the stadium this evening. Uh, it's kind of, if this is his final World Cup, there's something righteous about those moments happening within that because mm. that's what you want from Messi. We all want a free-flowing Argentina and we've certainly over the years seen a, a Messi Depensia Argentina where there's nothing that works apart from him, really. And that was kind of, this was a little bit of a callback to it. But um, I enjoyed it just for John's response to it. Glee, jumping up, celebrating. Mm. But I think that's what you want. I mean, Argentina are a story because of Messi, because this is the culmination of his international career. This might be the last chance. They've gathered all these um, uh, competent pieces around him. There's a system that has worked not so far in this tournament, I might add, mm. but for um, much of um, uh, Lionel Scaloni's reign. And that's what you want. That is the messy you want to see on the biggest stage of them all. So yeah. I enjoyed it. And also, like, you, you talked about like it being an efficient finish. And I think that's right because there's no trickery. There's no, there's nothing in that that only Messi can do. It's just the timing. So it's the, it's the knowledge and the understanding of this is what the situation needs. This is the space that I can burst into. And no matter how old he gets, he has the awareness to do that. And I think that's a really understated aspect of his greatness. Yeah. Michael Bailey, Messi, not just Sergeant. Let's, you know, so we'll get that that's out of the fine. way. Yes. But, um, and you know, at his age, as Seb, Seb described, I mean, he kind of did take control of this game, but he doesn't do that as often now as he did in his prime. But he's still fun to watch, isn't he? Yeah, and you feel like he's still got the responsibility on his shoulders that he has to be at the level that he always yeah. was. I mean, it, it's the precision as well in that goal because it, the, the shot is so close to being blocked it's, and, and the precision of the first touch is mm. wonderful. And I just love the goal celebration. That 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 sight, I just thought, was beautiful. I, I really want him. I don't really care about Lionel Messi necessarily, but I, ju- I just really want him to do well in this tournament and therefore... Argentina to do well and, and just the sight of him looking up at the the Argentinian fans in that moment mm. was just wonderful and it, it feels like the rest of the team were quite disjointed and and almost there was an issue with the coaching but I don't can we say that because they've done so well up until this point you know they in certainly before the World Cup in terms of being unbeaten for 30 odd games or whatever sure. it was you know yeah. surely they are pretty well functioning up until this point but yeah the the more 
responsibility Messi takes, um, you know, and then the more successful it is, the, the better the narrative. Uh, and the happier we all are. Now, John, you told us before um, what the problems for Argentina are in build-up, but you didn't directly address the idea that they might not be favourites. I mean, they have three points on the board now. We'll come to talk later about how difficult this group is going to be going into the third game. What are your overall expectations for them now, having seen them play, you know, not brilliantly in the first half, but get the result? Yeah, I mean, it, it's not even certain that they're going to get through the group at this point. Yeah. So that's going to be the first thing on their minds. Um, we'll, we'll see how, how that goes in the, in the final group game. But once you get out of the group, you're then into this knockout stage where, yeah. the, it, obviously it's not a lottery, but you are reliant on things happening. And I think if you're a team who is scoring a lot, that's fine because even if you have defensive mishaps, um, which will happen in games, you will feel as though you can rectify those at the other end. Whereas mm. the, the issue with this Argentina team has been that they've not been able to move the ball forward comfortably enough to get any kind of volume of dangerous chances. I mean, I can't even think of any like really dangerous chances in this game. And I think that's a much better indicator for the teams that are more likely to do well in the knockout stages. So mm. it, it it's worrying for, for Argentina, I think, because as I've said, they, they just seem so much weighted towards being a team who is going to play through the central areas. They don't have any difference makers in wide areas who can, who can come up in these one V one situations and cause opposition players problems. And if you have that, then it just gives you another element to the way that you play. Um, especially at the international level where everyone likes to block the centre and force people out wide and say, go and do something in the wide areas. And, yeah. and and then if you if you earn a goal, then you earn a goal. But this this Argentina team to me seems quite one dimensional and it doesn't have a huge amount of scope to, to offer any other dimensions from here on in as well. So mm. um, I think that's why for me, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit lower on them than, than I was before the tournament started. Okay. Seb, uh, Michael mentioned uh, Argentina's coach, Lionel Scaloni. Yeah. I didn't know that much about him uh, beforehand. He's quite young, 44 years old. Tell me a little bit about him and, and where he came from. Well, truth be told, Joe, I don't think as a coach, anybody knew that much about him prior to 2018. He used to play for West Ham. He was a fullback in his playing career. Wow. Uh, a yes, West Ham player is the manager of Argentina. So basically after, after Argentina were knocked out of the 2018 World Cup in Russia, do you remember they, they got beaten by that France team with yeah. the, um, the game of amazing goals with all the, um, with all the wonderful strikes, but they were a bit of a mess and, and, uh, they were eliminated. Um, in the aftermath, Lionel Scaloni took over with, um, Pablo Aymar. Do you remember him from Valencia? Yes. And from Championship Manager in the mm-hmm. 90s? Yeah. Um, they took over as kind of caretakers. Lionel Scaloni eventually gets a job. Pablo Aymar is still there. He, um, you might see some interesting footage of him on social media this evening of him sort of suffering through the moments before and after the messy goal. But Scaloni got the job really because, um, the Argentinian Football Association didn't have the money to, or didn't want to spend the money, I'm not quite sure which, to um, appoint someone who was better qualified. And Scaloni had no senior coaching experience when he took over. And yet, and yet, and yet, he led them on this amazing run, which culminated in them winning the Copper America and remaining unbeaten, as Michael pointed out a couple of minutes ago, for over 30 games. So it's an amazing story. And it's, it's actually... I was talking to um, Jack Collins from um, the Ranks podcast about this um, last week. It's interesting that you have that coach at this point in Messi's career when perhaps like the valuable ingredient is actually a little bit of humility and someone who doesn't have the big reputation, someone who doesn't, someone who isn't Sam Pauli, for instance, who doesn't stand for something very specific in the game, who is still learning his trade and is kind of 
really bending himself around the players at his disposal. So it's a really interesting story. Mm. Um, it's not unheard of because sometimes I always think of Roberto Di Matteo at Chelsea when he led them to the Champions League. Sometimes what you need is somebody who is a little bit deferential. And I don't know if that reflects on, if, if that's um, a fair uh, description of him, but it certainly seems to have worked ahead of this tournament. And okay, so um hasn't gone quite to plan so far, but they are just a, a game away from qualifying from knockout stages. And if they get there, they will still be among the favourites, whether they play particularly well or not, just on the sheer weight of ability they have. And so you have to respect what Scalini's done, I think. Yeah. It's worth saying that he did seem to panic between the two games. Yeah, he I agree. He made, I think, five yeah. changes between the two starting 11s. And uh, I think brought on players <laughs> in this game who maybe wouldn't have suited it as much as some of the players from the earlier games. Is, so. Can we say that's panicking, though? I mean, if you lose to Saudi Arabia in your opening... There must be a huge game, pressure like, on you to not panic, but but um, react to that. Well, yeah, but like, failure. is that is that is it is it fair to call it panicking? If you make if I, you make it, maybe it's assertive changes. I think so. Insofar as if you look at the underlying numbers for that game, you'll say we performed perfectly well enough to win that game. Right now, there was obviously issues that needed working on, um, yeah. a lot of which we've talked about already. Um, but in terms of just sort of tearing up the copybook and, and and bringing on different players to to fit into the, yeah. the the team, I think that's that's when it starts looking a little bit panicky. When you think when you've just gone through, as we've talked about, a really long thirty five games on un- unbeaten streak, and then at the first sign of of something not quite mm. going right, then being like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna panic at this in this situation and try and affect change by bringing in different players rather than yeah. saying look we played well let's go and do the same thing again make make maybe make a few tweaks for the game but it doesn't feel like that it feels like like for like players being like well yeah. this player didn't work so well let's try another player who who plays in the same position and see sure well michael bailey we spend a lot of time here and and the football media in general spends a lot of time talking about uh, coaching and how the players performed on the pitch and you know what they should have done differently and better and stuff uh, but we spend a little bit less time thinking about the sort of psychological element of uh, of playing playing football being a footballer being at a world cup being on the biggest stage maybe it being your last one maybe it being your first one you know that's hard isn't it it's hard to remember that they're all human beings yeah i think so i mean the, the, it is a different level at this at a tournament like this isn't it when you think of it a player that everything yes indeed <laughs> exactly that it's uh to, to have the level of expectation i suppose i mean it's similar with neymar isn't it like everything is just encapsulated into these games and you you know believe even if you get injured you're going to come back within a week and everything will be fine just because there's so much almost entire careers resting on this messi knows that he's kind of had this expectation that he would help argentina win the world cup at some point because what is he if he doesn't he's yeah. nothing well he's yeah. not nothing but you know he's he's a brilliant player but it's almost like it, that validation is needed and i think again it comes back to the sort of responsibility as well you can just see the weight he's carrying around with him but also I guess the teammates they they know that they no doubt love him they think he's brilliant they want to do it for him as much as their families as much as for themselves and and then you go out and you lose the first game where no one expected you to and also you haven't experienced losing in 36 37 games whatever it is you know that's and and you've got like four days to deal with it and also, you're still trying to get to grips with being at a World Cup and, and preparing with no lead-up time to it. So there's so many things that as players you're having to deal with. And then lots of people look at it and go, well, that was a bit rubbish or that was great. So, yeah. you know, but that scrutiny is obviously something they're, they're, they're dealing with themselves. But that, that there is a lot for them to process. And uh, that is why you then see Messi do that, because he's basically unlocked a game that was drifting away from Argentina and you just think wow that's just <laughs> the brilliant moment for you do you think that kind of accentuates that sort of moment there's when Messi's gone when he when he retires 
I'll, I'll miss the, the sound of Messi scoring goals for Argentina and the way people respond to it. But it was still like, Michael hits the nail on the head. It's almost like the, the, he's had two parallel careers. What he's done for Barcelona and latterly for Paris Saint-Germain, but who he's been for the Argentinian national team, but also to the people of Argentina. Because mm. there's always been that kind of, is he Catalan, is he Argentinian? That discussion. Yeah. And so when he delivers in a moment like that, it feels very powerful, I think. Yeah. Um, and it, it kind of in, it heightens the spectacle. Yeah. It's fascinating, isn't it? Okay. Well, listen, that's Argentina. Well, I'm sure we'll be speaking about them again next week. Um, let's have a quick word on Mexico, Seb, who I wouldn't describe them as disappointing in this game. I thought they played fairly well. Um, but I suppose one point after two games, it's not what they would have wanted. No. And frustratingly, it's kind of what people predicted for Mexico, which is that they don't have a goal scorer and they're not going to score goals. Yeah. I was a little bit disappointed in Mexico because I, I look at the lineup and... There are some interesting players there. I've liked what I've seen from Vega. I hadn't seen very much of him prior to this tournament, but I, I think he's a good player. Um, I felt like it got a bit agricultural from Mexico at times. I felt like um, they played down. They created um, a bit more of a, an attritional contest than they needed to. Uh, some of the tackles are messy. There was a, there was a tackle just, um, uh, I think it was at the end of the first half, where he was kind of bursting towards the box and just got scythed down by two players simultaneously. Mm. Um, it feels like having watched these two Mexican ga- Mexico games, I've learned nothing at all more than what well, I've learned nothing additional about them. Well, that's, that's interesting, Which isn't is it? Because kind of frustrating. Well, we like, talked about I, the U S yesterday yeah. and there's been a lot of discourse already about the 2026 world cup and that taking place in, in North America. Mexico, of course, is one of the three hosts, including yeah. Canada too. We haven't really talked about that. Um, we've referenced this at reference as it relates to the U S men's national team, but for, for Mexico, four years ahead of that happening, I mean, this, you know, we assume it's not certain yet, but uh, there's good possibility that they will go out of the group stages. It'll be a great disappointment for them ahead of um, being hosts. Yeah, it really will. I was um, I was having a conversation with a Mexican journalist who, about three weeks ago, who was talking about the, or the failure to uh, select Javier Hernandez, Chicharito, uh, also the problems with Raul Jimenez. Um, and also what it would be like when the World Cup is played in Mexico or shared in um, the World Cup is shared with with uh, the United States and Canada and is a very big deal for a, for a country like Mexico. Mm. And you just hope that like, I think World Cup is all about timing. It's an economic situation. It is about what's right. It's a political uh, movement as well because it's a uh, it's a vote driver, obviously. Yeah, sure. Um, but you always hope that um, that the company of uh, the company the country's footballing fortunes align with that so that you are you're gifted with a good team at the right moment whereby you make the most of it i think back to 2006 in germany so prior to that um people in germany had a little bit of an issue with their flag and displaying it uh, they were un- uneasy around patriotism and um their football had fallen off a little bit of a cliff they'd had a, a very very poor european championship two really poor uh, european yeah. championships separated by an unlikely run to a world cup final and in 2006 they had this young team with a vibrant energetic jürgen klinsmann and it captured the mood at the right time they didn't win the tournament but they produced a performance within the competition which sparked something and rejuvenated um german football and capitalized on some of the technical work that, be, that had been going on in the background um and it was, um, you, you hope for the same thing in Mexico. You hope that there will be that nine, there will be that array of, of young attacking talent. You hope that someone, for instance, like, um, I hope I pronounce his name right, but Diego, uh, Lanes, Lane, 
um, the the winger who was tied to, to be an absolute star of the game a couple of years ago. He was um, he was at Betis. His career hasn't kind of followed the trajectory that was hoped for. You'd hope that that would be the right tournament for that kind of player because mm. it's very very important for yeah. the Mexican football public. It's also worth um, remembering as well that Liga MX is the most popular uh, domestic league in the states as well isn't it so it's in terms of like you know popular, sort yeah. of uh, not to take anything away from the from the united states or canada but it's just in terms of the 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 domestic uh, viewing situation they get mixed kind of like the cultural home of it yes, at the moment yes, indeed so that's that'll be a really, really interesting um uh, take i suppose in in four years time um okay let's have a quick break and when we come back we're going to discuss australia tunisia this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Lovely break. Wasn't that enjoyable? Did you enjoy that, Michael Bailey? That was the, possibly the best break I've ever had. You know what? I think I agree with you. Australia won. Nil Tunisia, John. Uh, now, uh, now, John. <laughs> yesterday, not yesterday, last week, whenever it was, Australia didn't look good and Tunisia did look good. And then today, Tunisia didn't look good and Australia did look good. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Australia looked incredible, but they did enough to win a game, which is going to be great for them in in getting out of this group if they are to do so. Yes, um, and it's yeah, I think a bit of an interesting phenomenon which has happened in this World Cup, which is that there are there used to be one way that teams who were underdogs would play usually, and that was you'd sit if you look at the board here in a in a four four two deep block, compact space, don't let anyone towards the centre of your goal. Yes, and you're just seeding. Um, space in these wide areas here and here. The coward's manoeuvre. The coward's manoeuvre, yeah, for sure. We saw we saw Iran play like that against England. Sure. And what happens is is that you, yes, you make it hard for them to to um, necessarily get good chances through the game. England were able to get a couple of low value chances early on, mm. and uh, and and then what kicked on from there. The 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 problem is is that what you're not doing is. While you are seeding space in the wide areas, you're also seeding space in the rest of the pitch. So what yeah. you're doing is you're allowing the opposition to get forward quite comfortably. Yeah. And you're giving them plenty of chances to then just swing the ball into the box to, and, to try and, and almost chances. inevitably at some point they, they score. Especially when they have such a big talent mismatch, right? So uh, if you look at the England yeah. team now, you've got obviously Harry Kane um, as, as a, a, a goal scorer. I mean, and on his own, he would be, he'd be fine against a lot of these teams just in, in terms of offering that threat. But then you have lots of other really creative players as well who can, who can break down yeah. uh, teams as well. And what you're doing then is you're simply allowing a volume of chances to arrive, um, in, sure. in, in your, in your box. And then you're just sort of playing lottery with how they go. So in all likelihood, at some point, you know, they're going to get a good, a better option and they're maybe going to score a goal. 
Yeah, you're simply saying, go again, go again, go again. You, so when the ball goes in, it, it may be cleared out by a, one of the centre-backs heading out and it will usually drop into this sort of space where there'll be a free play, it'll pick it up, recycle it, get it into mm. the wide area and you go again. Um, but what we're seeing a little bit more in this World Cup actually is underdog teams who are a little bit happier to uh-huh. be risky and push forward. The bold underdog. The, the bold as underdog. As opposed to the bald underdog. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Me, me and Seb are the bald underdogs. Yeah, absolutely. That's just one of um, you. <laughs> But what we're seeing now, so on the board here, we're seeing uh, teams out of possession just being quite aggressive in the way that in the way that they press. So um, Tunisia were playing with the back three, and what we were seeing from Australia was they were going pretty much player for player in this sort of situation. So Craig Goodwin was pushing forward onto one of the back three, and then you make sure that the uh, the uh, wing back on that side is is covered by your other wide player, and then this player will will push up as well. What you're doing then is you're you're stopping the opposition from progressing the ball easily. Mm. And okay, that's a a fairly scary situation to be in because you are leaving uh, advanced players here uh, on the back line, player for player. But the gamble that's being taken here is that if we can get the... I'm having a nightmare with with these... With these lines, but if, you, if if the ball is is being played over, then you're you've got big centre backs here or big full backs who are going to be able to clear the ball away. So sure. you're not you're not necessarily going to leave yourself exposed behind. And also, what, if you can stop the opposition from progressing the ball, then you don't have that situation we talked about before, which is the attacking team then has a lot of high volume yeah. um, chances to to generate. Maybe they'll be low quality, but there'll be yeah. a high volume of them. What well, you're doing now also, is you're just further away from the goal. Yeah, you're keeping them further away from the goal. That sounds is, stupid, doesn't it, when you say it like that? But like, the closer you are to the goal, the more likely you are to score. So if you're far away from the goal, you're less likely to score. You'd have to kick it further and harder. And harder. Maybe with your head. Yeah. You'd have to kick it with your head, exactly. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's almost impossible to do, John. Yeah, and this is what we saw in England's two games, right? So you might wonder why England m- might go from battering one team 6-2 and then struggling against another team. I, I was wondering that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's and that's the difference. The, the difference was the US were happier to actually be a little bit more aggressive in their in their yeah. pressing push higher up the field and not allow England to progress the ball into the into the final third as yeah. much and um yeah I think this is something that we're realizing in international football now is that I think previously people were just worried well if you if you play with an aggressive high line and you go uh, aggressive with your press then people will just play over it all uh, teams will just play over it all the time but we saw Argentina lose to Saudi Arabia playing yeah. in just that way and so I think what we'll we'll see as 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 the tournament progresses especially through the group stages where there will be more underdog football we will see um the teams who are aggressive in their in their um pressing actually getting some joy from it well i'm loving it and i expect people in australia also are seb let's put this into context uh, you know a little bit what what will the win mean well i was i was reading the sydney morning herald afterwards and there's a the wonderful article there by their chief sports writer talking about um just a really important moment in australian football's um present future uh, there are some amazing videos of the the reactions in the street down in Australia, but also I think um, I think this is either I think it's the third win in in World Cup history for Australia, um, and that's an amazing thing really because like football soccer will always struggle for attention against AFL and rugby league um, against things like horse racing too and motorsport in Australia. Um, but it, it's really an exciting time because this win comes um, shortly after. So there's an interesting situation developing in Australian domestic football. Um, one of the problems there has always been giving significant game time to young Australian hopefuls, making sure they're on the pitch and making sure that the, the A-League 
isn't dominated by um, players who either aren't developing or players who are from different countries or have, have come over. Um, and one of the other things is that, um, unfortunately, since the pandemic, there has been no youth league. Obviously, ordinarily, I, I think it's called the um, the Y League. Apologies if I got that wrong. But um, that hasn't taken place since the pandemic. It hasn't restarted. And so the only sort of the only place for young players who aren't quite ready um, to play A-League football to play has been in um, I think it's the um, National Premier League, which is very sort of, um, disjointed um, all over the place affair, which plays during the winter months. It doesn't go on for very long. It's not really a, a proper breeding ground. However, um, it's kind of gone under the radar. I did a lot of reading up about this today, but um, there's been a, a big cash injection into um, Australian football. There's a company called Silver Lake who uh, they're like a um, uh, they're an investment fund, and they have holdings in the New Zealand All Blacks and in Klarna and Airbnb. And part of their objective is not just to kind of improve uh, the experience of going to games as a fan, but also to help fund the restructuring of. Um, the leagues that support the A-League. Um, and I think they spent something like $140 million, Ooh. Australian dollars, um, to buy 33% of the company that controls um, that part of Australian football. Mm. Um, and it's really good news because this is where you grow talent from. I looked it up and only um, only eight of the players who made Australia's 26-man squad actually play in their football in Australia. And... Um, that's not unusual. I think you see that with a lot of South American countries, but having a strong domestic league is generally, it's, it's helpful, of course. Yeah. Um, and this is a, a good step towards it. So marry those two things up. You have a, a big win, um, a big win also for a coach who is continually under pressure. Arnold has been, uh, when they lost to Japan, um, ahead of that sort of Peru playoff that got them to the World Cup, a lot of people wanted him sacked. There's been an awful lot of negativity in, in light of the, the defeat to France. I think yeah. Harry Kuehl, said some very negative things about him on on Australian television, I think. I haven't heard them, but that's just secondhand reporting. Sure. And so you get this big win, big moment of national pride. Um, great winning goal, by the way. I think we'll come to that. And then in the background, you have a kind of reformatting and a restructuring of the domestic footballing picture. And if you can combine those two things, then you should at least be heading somewhere quite good in the future. Yeah. Um, and um, I've, I've monologued a little bit here, but only because I... There's um during the course of the season we we've kind of we've remarked on uh, Christian Varpato's uh, progress at Roma. He's had mm -hmm. a few good performances just for the World Cup. He's got a a really great goal um, for Mourinho's Roma. He was actually born in in New South Wales, I think. Um, played for a range of clubs in the Sydney area. I think he played for West Sydney Wanderers for a little bit, and yet um, and it was even. Um, uh, I'm not sure selected or invited, but he could have been part of this 26 man squad. He was a certain extended the invitation, rejected it. He wants to represent Italy. So what you have to do is make sure a player like that feels like there is a pathway, not just to, um, mm. you know, further his career in a domestic club and to become the player he wants to be in Australia, but also then feels like it's a viable option to go and then represent Australia. And he was born in Australia. So, um, these, these are good things. Um, they are things which don't always work in a linear, um, precise way, but um, there are positive aspects to where Argentinian, uh, Argentinian, Australian football is headed. Certainly, mm. if it becomes Argentinian football, that'd be very <laughs> positive, wouldn't it? I mean, that really that'd be, that would that'd be, be that'd be a great result. That'd be a great be bit of investing, wouldn't it? Although on the basis of today, yeah. maybe not. But uh, they were they were great. Uh, I I 
loved what I saw. Maybe Michael could talk well, about Am, am I the only one who didn't think they were that bad against France? I thought France were exceptional in the first game, just looked every inch a I team agree. ready to win the tournament. And Australia took the lead and scored a wonderful goal. And yeah, they wilted a bit after that. But I, I thought there were some really promising signs. It's just that I know you said that, John, and also I had a friend who said, oh, Australia, worst team I've seen in the tournament. And I was like, oh, I don't think they were. But mm. maybe it's I just th- me. I think I'm glad you've said that though, because sometimes I didn't, I didn't, I don't remember that game. But uh, sometimes <laughs> I think things, and then other people say the other thing, and I go, "Oh, I must be wrong. I mustn't say that I thought that in case I look stupid." I, I, think, which you wouldn't think would be something that would concern me, given how often I do appear stupid. I wonder whether a lot of the controversy wasn't because, well, not controversy, criticism wasn't because. The thing with Arnold, uh, according to sort of Australian football fans or um, some of the c- critical Australian football fans... Graham Arnold, um, by the way, yeah, first Australian-born coach to win a yeah, World Cup game. It, it's an interesting story. He's actually, he's an ex-player. Uh, he, he played, he played obviously, his football, a lot of his football in Australia, but also he went to Japan. I think he played in Holland for a little bit, in the Netherlands. Um, and yeah, he's actually, um, I read today that he's a member of the Australian Football Hall of Fame. Um, but... He's not that popular. And I think one of the criticisms that, that he suffers um, more frequently is that he can't play proactive football. So football is always defensive. It's always back foot. It's always a little bit passive and people get frustrated. I, I don't know if that was the nature of criticism that Harry Kuehl and other people were going for, but it seems quite likely. But it just felt like, well, you lost to France and you got overpowered and it just conformed to a lot of the negativity that existed beforehand. And I think it's quite fair because it's France, right? Like, what are you going to do? Like, you, you, yeah. I mean, it's just France. Billion pounds worth of player on the pitch. It's just a, you know, that Australia took the lead and, you know, had some good moments. I don't mean to be patronising, but that's quite good. Um, this was the more, this was clearly the more winnable game and they got it done. Um, they played in a certain way, but then they played to their strengths. And um, yeah, I, I, a good moment for him, clearly. Yeah, he's going to leave um, his position at the end of the World Cup, by the way. So his um, his contract is up, and he's going to take a bit of a hiatus. So this is a this is a kind of Terry Venables at Euro '96 situation. Uh, isn't Ange Postecoglou from Australia? Yes, you like him, don't you? Yes. Maybe he could be the Australian manager next. He already has been. Oh, maybe he could have been the Australian manager in the past, and I didn't know about it. Yes. Yes. Okay. Fine. Uh, good to know. Well, what about Tunisia? I have very few thoughts about Tunisia. Okay. Can I can I ask John a tactical question? Uh, sure. Is, okay. is, it, is it about uh, Harry Souter? Uh, it could be, but it's more about Aaron Moy. Absolutely. Hey, Moy so BN. It's also just an excuse to use the, the board. Um, so what I'm going to do is on the board, I'm just putting the, the Australian defenders back into their low block. So I want to highlight something that I thought worked particularly well. Um, Jackson Irvine played very, very well, by the way, as we'll say. Excellent person. Yeah. Um, look at look at Seb Phil time while he's moving players so around. Isn't that nice? What I like is that, and what I, what I always think is one of the most admirable roles in this, is that obviously the attention goes to the players that are in the, the, the deep block. So Harry Suter played absolutely fantastically. He reminded me of, um, of Paul McGrath at USA 94 mm. in the sense that he, I think he's only played 90 minutes for Stoke, 90 minutes of league football this season. So to come to World Cup and to play as well as he has done is is amazing. But what I, what I like is when the ball pl- is played into the box and it, it's, it's cleared away, it will fall to, in this instance, someone like Aaron Moy. And the temptation, um, if you're in that situation, must always be to just go, oh God, get rid of it. Yeah. 
But in reality, like, ooh, the football's quite difficult to uh, to position, isn't it? That's quite a tricky uh, move. It is a tricky, you have to be very precise <laughs> with it. That's yeah. why, People that's don't realise how hard Ironic, that's why football's hard, isn't it? Yeah. Like, it's hard the to use The ball is very small. Yeah. Yes, the ball is difficult to use. Yeah. Anyway, the, the ball is... And so, you're trying to play it with a pen. Absolutely. That's what you're going yeah, And it's very tricky. You, you you might accidentally burst it if you... If you exactly. You know, pen is pointy. Yeah. Uh, so the ball will drop to someone like Moy. And for people who are listening rather than watching, he's kind of about 15 yards out of his box. What I like is the way that a player like that has the composure to um, step on the ball, essentially, win time for himself, and then play a pass to somebody else and allow a move to build around him. That's that just really interesting. It's a very specific skill set, it feels to me, John. Yeah. Um, and it's something that, like, I don't know. It's something that I feel that when when a team sets up that way, people don't really talk about that much. Yeah, I mean... Aaron Moyes played at quite a high level, I think, in compared yeah. to some of the players in this team as well. And that's that, that's the reason why, right? The, the ability to have composure on the ball and to buy time for your teammates is, is going to get you to to, to mm. that level. So he was in the Man, Man City system. I mean, he didn't ever play for them, I don't think, but um, he had Premier League experience with Huddersfield as well as now playing for Celtic in Scotland. Uh, and that's what that's what you want from him. You want someone who's going to be able to have the time to get the ball under control and then play the passes that he can play. Um, but yeah, we should talk about Big Harry Suter, shouldn't we? Yeah, go I on. Love, I, I think love so. Can, I, can, I just, um, can I just pass on some love uh, to Seb from the comments section? Uh, Reese Love said, uh, Seb Stafford bored. Well done. There you go. Thank you so much, Reese. O-A-R-D. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what did we it's, think good, of it's good to clarify that. I thought that was quite <laughs> yeah. an important point. Yeah, no, yeah, no, absolutely. For people who are listening, yes, bored as in, yes. <laughs> the tactics bored. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Uh, were what you did, asking we, us what a did question, we make John? of uh, Seb's Fantastic, Seb's fantastic. Yeah, yeah very I'm impressive. Feeling under threat. He Confidence described what building. he was doing perfectly well. I expect the experience of the audio listener will have been greatly improved by his uh, uh, constant uh, narration uh, and over-cautiousness to discuss everything he was well, doing everybody have a nice time in words yeah look at that your go yeah big big <laughs> harry Souter uh, playing for stoke but he's not really had a particularly great career so far because it's been blighted by injury he mm. obviously started out in scotland and, and has played for a number of different teams there even since going to stoke he's rehabbed a little bit in scotland as well i think but had an excellent game today um all six foot six of him mm. he's a big lad that is big um, he, he is coming back from, I think, an ACL injury um, because he's, he's obviously quite tall. So there's a lot of, a lot of leverage on there's that. There's a lot of stuff to support. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's just joint. pause here for one moment. Who's the, the, the biggest, tallest player to ever play for Norwich? Oh, my goodness. Uh, <laughs> probably Peter Crouch, I would Peter, guess. Oh, Peter Crouch was at Norwich. Yeah, only on loan, but oh. they all count. Yeah, okay. But for wide, Grant Holt? Why not? Yeah. 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 So you don't really measure players by width, do they? I don't know. That's how we measure height in my home. <laughs> we, we pull the tape measure this way and then we look at the floor and walk away sadly. Yeah. Would, would you go with waist measurements? You think yeah. That, that we should add Six that. foot four We should add that to FD ref. <laughs> yeah. But do you keep talking about big Harry Souter? Yeah. Um, big, big, tall, vertical. Yeah, and obviously being big, tall and vertical is, is good for centre-backs. Mm -hmm. um, and he had a great, great game defensively, but he's also really good on the ball. A uh, really good passer of the ball as well. And I would not be surprised if someone comes in for him this January. Um, certainly expected to move up um, the, the, the the leagues in the summer. So it'll be interesting to see how he how he gets on where he goes. And um, yeah, this is what the World Cup's all about, right? It's uh, players who've gone under the radar, have a good 
tournament and uh, someone will buy them. And then clubs overpay for them. Yeah, exactly. And then they don't work out. But C- Can't wait for that to happen. I think it's it's about time that, that Suter got... Not for Harry Suter. Suter but just got a, Suter you know. in, in a, a league that's slightly... Oh, I'm so sorry I talked over that. I didn't realise that right. something it was a bad that joke was coming. It happened upon me in the moment and yeah. it's probably better that you talked over it. Well, okay. Um, in which case, shall we go to a break and let everyone think about John's joke? And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm still thinking about it. I Me am. too. After, Me the, too. after that break. I'm chalking on with the inside. You, isn't it? Here it is. <laughs> I, I, I liked it. I you liked, liked it. it. I'd have written yeah. that down. You're a real yeah. counterculture guy, aren't you? Oh, yeah. You're Con- always constantly <laughs> just uh, saying the opposite. Anyway, uh, listen, Denmark won to France, Michael Bailey, Mbappe. He scored both goals today. Um, he's good, isn't he? It struck me in the Australia game that I was watching as someone who was at the very elite level at a very in, in good form who could really grab a game mm. at a major tournament and you could come through in sort of three or four weeks time and just go wow that is you've done something special there everyone knows what he's good at um he's good at very lots of many things mm-hmm. um and it's just uh, a joy to watch him carry that out regardless of who yeah. he's playing against it's quite interesting isn't it because obviously Norway and Erling Holland aren't at the tournament and I think at least in the UK uh, and and I suppose anywhere that would be Premier League focused uh, Holland has has been enormous since the beginning of the season and there's been an awful lot of conversation about him Mbappe uh, in terms of domestic football seems to have kind of faded away a little bit in, in the general consciousness or at least the general Premier League fan consciousness um, but this is a real opportunity for him to dispel those ideas isn't it well, I think that's why this 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 these the World Cup is such a special occasion for everyone regardless of where you're watching football and where your you know, concentration is generally Lots of people watch the Champions League, but but it's not not in the same level as to watching domestic football and mm. things become an, a, a name and sort of a, a few clips on 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 social media. But to actually watch them do what they're doing live and mm. impact a situation that you're also invested in because of who else you're watching or or following at the same time, I think it just captures imagination and it's. Uh, it's. I, I mean, he's done it before at major tournaments, hasn't he? I think he's he's really shone up and had a had a really positive impact. It's not anything that people don't know, but it, it's just like a reminder. I just yeah. sat through that first opening game. I thought, yeah, and I, I, again tonight, really, to be honest, I, That's I think what I'm watching for. That's the feeling I want is to be reminded how good somebody is. John, what do you think about his performances so far? Yeah, I think he's. I mean, as as Michael says, it's not particularly profound to say that Mbappe is good, right? We sure. we all know that, but it is nice to see him performing in the international game as well. I think the international game suits him. 
Um, I think he is one of the best off-ball movers in terms of his ability to attack space. Obviously, has just incredible acceleration and uh, the ability to just do things at a pace that professional defenders cannot deal with, which is so much of what it comes down to at this level, right? I, I don't think people, because you're used to seeing professional footballers play against professional footballers all the time, you get uh, a misapprehension about what what is and isn't realistic for, for, for humans to do. But then Mbappe comes along and he does things that make him look like he's on another level still, which makes it, I, I think, that's why he stands out, right? Because you are suddenly made aware of the fact that this guy is on a different level physically and uh, athletically to a lot of uh, the the other people in uh, on you know on the highest levels of of the sport. So, yeah, I thought it was a really really good performance from him. Not surprising, and he, I think it, it took him his goal his goals took him level with mm. with Messi um, and, and in terms of World Cup goals. Obviously, yeah. Messi then went ahead of him uh, in the next in the next game. But I think Messi and Ronaldo. Both have the same number of World Cup goals now, which is eight, I believe. Right. And Mbappe's on seven at Ooh. the age of 23. Obviously, wow. Messi and Ronaldo are towards the end of their careers and he is very much at the, the start. And we've okay. been talking a lot about Olivier Giroud, who is a joint record um, scorer for France, along with uh, Thierry Henry. And I think we calculated on the basis of the, of the, of the, of the graph, at the rate at which he's growing, that he will probably um, overtake their record um, at around, as it stands now, at around um, sixteen years old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's going to get younger. It's a, it's a remarkable fact about him, but um, he is going to hit that that level around twenty seven, which is, I think, he'll be at the next World Cup. So by the time the next World Cup swings around, it wouldn't be surprising to see him actually be the record French yeah. goal scorer. Goodness gracious me! Well, listen, I have just spotted uh, the one and only JJ Bull in the chat, Ooh, and what's he saying? I'm gonna listen. I'm I'm sure that both of you might be a little bit unhappy about this, given the competitiveness mm. around points are bad. And JJ has technically already had his one reminder. Although, when I reminded him a couple of days ago, he said he was typing out his predictions as I was typing. Okay. So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and say that on his day off, given that he's watching the stream from home and hasn't remembered to send me those predictions, we really don't want him to incur 20 penalty points for tomorrow. That would be a shame. Well, not for you, John, because you'd be first. But JJ, you've got about 10 minutes to get those predictions over <laughs> to me. Uh, so I'd really hurry up. And, Rooney! Uh, there's a Rooney. Now we're all imagining, scrabbling around his home, looking for his phone. Um, all the best. He's been here all night, he says. Oh, no. Yeah, exactly. There we go. Fine. Um, okay. Well, that was Mbappe. Um, France, uh, though, Seb, uh, almost kind of quietly winning their first two games. Six points. You know, they, they, they were very, very good on day one, but it was Australia. And so there was a there was a conversation in the same way that there was with England, Iran, around, well, how much can you really tell about how good they are? Denmark, not an easy team to beat, but they kind of made it look a bit easy. I don't know. I, I thought Denmark played pretty well. I, think. I didn't watch the game. I just took oh, a punt that I that see. might have been no, I always what felt, happened, but it wasn't. I think when we talked about this last night, we expected this would be close. Uh, I think I predicted 1-1 in points are bad. So I thought Denmark might get something. Ultimately, not quite. We've, we've talked about Mbappe being the difference. I was super impressed with Antoine Griezmann, just in, in the sense that he was... I, I know what his abilities are, but I think he's giving us um, a very kind of selfless... Uh, range of performances at the moment in terms of where he's picking up the ball, what he's doing with it, how he's using it. I I think Griezmann's been fantastic. Mm. Really, I really I do. And there's nothing here that 
suggests that France aren't what they were in 2018. For instance, like I think you can find this performance in that World Cup. I think you can find it in other tournaments in which they've gone far and 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 beaten a lot of teams and you know got to finals and semifinals. Um, so that they managed to dig out the win is just another French victory for a very gifted set of sure. players. And I think also we talked a little bit last night about and the night before actually about tournament performances managing tournaments and getting through this felt a little bit like that it's like it wasn't they weren't they never hit top gear they had little surges of power which Mbappe provided in moments where Giroud did something which created a little bit of an opportunity they had one falling volley which is very very close to being one of the goals of the tournament yes um but this was I don't know I never worried about France during this and it always felt actually um between uh, the Danish equaliser and the French winner, I went out to collect my food that had been delivered to the front of the office. Ah. And I came back and I kind of knew in my heart hearts when I did, France would be ahead. And uh, I walked back into the office and there was Kylian Mbappe celebrating in the corner. It felt kind of inevitable. And um, that is reflective of nothing other than I trust this French team. Yeah. Um, and there's nothing that I've seen so far, which is kind of impacted upon that really that's right interesting uh, uh, element of seb's poshness there had his food delivered to yeah. him by carried, another human carried carried me, yeah whereas yeah. john and i outside in the field picking up grain and uh, trying to make bread yeah. out of it yeah. unsuccessfully hey yeah. that's right a Hung- couple of hungry boys now listen let's talk about uh, denmark uh, before we move on denmark i want to talk about their set piece uh, set piece goal one of very few john's going to talk about that um but denmark protests behind phil phil buckingham wrote an interesting thing about this on on the athletic set um, what do you think? Developing stories. So the Danish FA have um, threatened, well, suggesting that the Danish FA is threatening to withdraw from FIFA in response to, um, well, everything that we've seen so far within wow. this tournament. Yeah. Uh, also, there's a suggestion that other FAs are also uh, of the same mind. This is something to keep an eye on. Is it on the precipice? I don't know. On the precipice might be a little bit too strong. I don't know. Sure. We've heard... I'm really reticent about this sort of thing because we've heard so much rhetoric and we've heard so many threats and we've heard so many promises to take action. Yeah. Not least with obviously, um, uh, armband gate over the past few days that I never trust anything of this type until you actually see it take place. Sure. Danish have been very vocal. Um, the Danish, um, people back in Denmark, uh, this tournament is very, very unpopular with them. Um, there have been protests, there have been suggestions that um, even from the point of qualifying, the Danish um, people and Danish supporters have been very against the team's participation in Qatar. Um, so I, I don't know, but this is something that's going to carry on. I think the Danish with their with the adjustments they made to their strip, the Hummel strip, which has yeah. been adjusted to make sure that you can't see the logos as well as you might. And that includes obviously the Danish crest, yeah. the crest of the Danish Football Association. Um, they have been more proactive than most. And yeah. they've thought about their protest more than most too. It's not sort of some of the things you've seen in this tournament have been, don't want to do anyone a disservice, but some of them have been a little bit on the hoof in the sense that they've been reflexive and what should we do? It feels like people have met and discussed things the night before, for instance. Danish FA have a kind of um, a stronger position. So keep following the coverage. As you mentioned, Phil Buckingham mm. is writing about it and uh, I expect we'll be writing more about it before the end of the World Cup. Do you know who's who's hot for that is Uncle Damien. Uncle right. Damien's been talking about breaking up FIFA for years. <laughs> In the pub, of course, from behind the bar where he's serving drinks. Anyone that asks, he'll say, 
we should break it apart. The nation, you know, the nations should leave or, you know, start a new one or something. You know, I guess it, it's, it's been a popular topic of conversation for a long time. It's interesting, though, isn't it? Like on the eve of this tournament, the Netflix documentary uh, comes out. Gianni, we talked a lot in the first episode about Gianni Infantino's bizarre speech. Um, they seem to just weather every storm, but we haven't got time to discuss this. We'll, we'll do this on another occasion. Um, we've only got a few minutes and there's so much more to discuss, particularly the much more important topic of set piece goals, because of course that's more important than what I stopped us talking about to discuss. Can I do something that I'm not supposed to do? Sure. As long as it doesn't get us in trouble. (laughs) It won't get us in trouble. We are live. It's just a little tweak of the ordering, because I wanted to talk a little bit about France. Oh, go ahead. Done that, but one of the things that happened in the first game is that Lucas Hernandez got injured. Um, Mm. Actually, when Australia scored their goal, went off and was replaced by his brother, Tio, who is playing. That'll explain why I didn't notice. Yeah, Tio is, is playing for... Milan at the moment yeah. and one of the most aggressive running fullbacks in the world at the moment uh, really really dangerous for them um, and has linked up really well with Kylian Mbappe um, obviously it's not great that his brother got injured but it could be one of the things I think that makes France more dangerous mm. this this tournament and we talked about them in previous tournaments as being maybe quite a, a, a solid um, structured team who don't really get too adventurous in terms of possession but I think with Teo Hernandez they're able to get forward into these sorts of well he's able to get forward into more advanced areas and link up with Mbappe pull defences apart so especially when you're playing against a team like Denmark who are going to play with a with a back five when the opposition are in their final um, in, in their third and you've got someone like Teo Hernandez um making really aggressive runs into these sorts of areas. Um, the run, the areas between the wing back and the, the outside. That's the right. Back. Yeah. The seam runs as we call them. Yeah. Uh, and actually this is the way that the, the goal was scored tonight. The second goal tonight was scored by uh, Hernandez getting to the byline and playing the ball back to Mbappe uh, who, who then scored. And I think it will be a really, a really fruitful um, avenue for, for them. So mm. um, an inter- just an interesting thing that, you know, had it not been for the case that his brother got injured, then um, maybe France wouldn't have won the game today. Very interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, Denmark, uh, he did get one goal. It was from a set piece. I believe it's one of only four in the tournament so far, which is a bit unusual for international football to see so few. Normally you would see more. Yeah, I think the someone had done a, um, a a graph showing you the amount of goals that are scored per set piece in international tournaments compared to open play goals. And it was something like 70% of goals or something are scored by set pieces. But obviously in this tournament we've had over 50 goals now um i haven't got the exact number of goals that have been scored but only only four of them have come from set pieces and by set pieces i'm meaning free kicks and, and corners rather than yeah. penalties there have been some penalties as well huh. um but very unusual um especially because uh, a lot of teams work on their set pieces now because it, it, in the international level as we were saying like if you're if you're playing up against a team who are playing a low block and we talked about having a higher volume of chances to create dangerous moments um one of the um one of the things that you'll get from that as well is that you will generate more corner kicks right which means that you can practice your your corner kick techniques as a, as a team who are going to have a lot of possession mm. and you can get a lot of uh, of joy from that in, in a productive sense and you'll remember at the last world cup uh, and 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 in the euros i think england generated a lot of goals from from set pieces um but it doesn't seem to be the case in this tournament uh, i suppose we're going to ask why and I, I don't necessarily the bold underdog the different approaches maybe yeah maybe maybe partly that actually that, that there aren't as many teams who are just happy to um, accept pressure just over and over and over again but yeah. again these things are always like cyclical so there'll be a sense in which a lot of teams i think will have come to this tournament aware of the fact that set pieces are dangerous 
um, and will probably have worked quite hard defending set pieces uh, because again that's something that you can that is quite repeatable it's worth your while doing it um, so the, I guess that a lot of teams will have have decent systems in place for that as well and also I think you know set pieces are becoming more dangerous in the domestic game because uh, there are people in in the domestic game now who specialize in set pieces so Spurs this this uh, this season have got um, Gianni Vio as their um, a set piece specialist, and it's obviously having a good yeah. impact for them. Maybe that's not, just not translating as well into into the um, into the international game because you don't have as much time to work on these things as well. So yeah. I suspect that what's happening is that teams aren't spending a lot of time developing dangerous attacking set pieces, but they're spending a lot of time on the principles of defending set pieces, and it's maybe maybe um, ironing out as well. Or Every goal from now on will be a set piece. And, it will and you will, uh, what do they say? Rue what you sow. Mm. I always rue what I sow. Yeah. Is it rue? Reap. Well, you generally I mean, you reap, reap what, what you, you sow. sow. But you could rue what you I, sow. I, I, I suppose so. If you, if you sowed something really, really bad, you would probably rue the sowing. You would rue yeah. the sowing. Yeah, you would, yeah. I reckon John McKenzie's always ruing sowing. Don't you think? I He's think you've mixed a few metaphors of... here. No, I'm not constantly I, mixing no. metaphors, John McKenzie. Do you rue your sowing of metaphors? Yes, I do. Mm. <laughs> I, I wish I'd never said anything. Now, listen, we're really short on time, um, but uh, Saudi Arabia nil to Poland. Uh, Michael, you watched this game, didn't you? It was on. Yeah, I did. I did watch <laughs> yeah. it. I did watch it. It was a wonderful penalty save from Wojciech uh, Szczesny. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I've said that right. Haven't I, I? I think you've done a very good job. Where, where he kind of, you know, as as players seem to look to. Um, watch what the goalkeeper does before taking their penalty. Mm. Um, the, it was a classic case of a goalkeeper going, right, I'm going to try and dummy where I'm going and then go back the other way. Yeah. He did a brilliant job of saving it. He made several really, really good saves in the game too. Um, and, you know, Saudi Arabia were fun again and and and, and, and pressed well. And they, I think they had a lot of really good territory. And, and Chesney did have to make a few good saves, but it, it felt like it was in Poland's gift if they kind of produced a little bit of quality that they would go on and win the game. Uh, I think they were given a pretty significant helping hand mm. to which uh, Robert Lewandowski uh, um, prayed, I think. Uh, sure. and, and was very, he was in tears. He was moved mm. to tears. It was his first World Cup goal. Well, indeed, he scored over 70 goals for Poland, yeah. Michael Bailey. Uh, but this is his first World Cup goal. But again, we talked about the, emotional, the emotions on players. And, and the fact that Robert Lewandowski is in tears at scoring his first World Cup goal tells you that up until that point, he knew that he hadn't scored one and it was obviously weighing on him. You know, passes were going through to him and they were coming off the back of his heels or he was tripping yeah. over the ball pretty much, <clears throat> all sorts. And that's just, you've got such a wonderfully gifted striker mm. unable to coordinate himself. It's really interesting, isn't it? You, you also would have thought uh, if, if we're being, um, uh, if we're thinking in sort of stereotypes, right? Robin Lewandowski will see the World Cup draw. We'll see Saudi Arabia in the group. I'm going to score a goal in that game. And then you watch Saudi Arabia beat Argentina in game one <laughs> and, you, and you go, oh no, that's not what I thought was going to happen having missed a penalty in the opening game yeah. as well himself um and then i mean he is absolutely gifted the goal sure. in the end so uh, maybe credit to him for staying on his feet and slotting home it's funny isn't it because like players treat the world cup as like the pinnacle i think in a way that maybe football fans and i use that phrase to in, in, to to mainly mean the, the people who watch domestic football regularly probably wouldn't think of it in quite the same way. Um, I really agree. I, I, if you think about the amount of times in World Cup games you've seen players overcome, I always think of that John Brooks goal in 2014 for the USA, that late, late header. And he, you could see the, like, the gravity of the moment to him. The, um, 
the Ghanaian score against Portugal, who did the Ronaldo's um, celebration. I know that people thought it was a kind of a mugging off of Ronaldo, but actually he just, he came out and said on, on social media, it was actually, I was just overcome by scoring for my country mm. in, in a, in a, in a world cup. It's hugely significant and it feels like, it feels massive in a way that a lot of club goals don't even, even club goals that are really significant. So like winning a, you know, Champions League semi-final or scoring for your country at a World Cup must be, it's almost, it's very elusive for people like us to, mm. to understand what that would be like. The scale of it is just so massive. Um, it's a really lovely part of it though. I've always enjoyed seeing that in a, in, in yeah. a football match when it, you see the, um, you see momentous moments and the World Cup's legend is kind of built on it, isn't it? Like you, you look back at kind of, um, some of the images uh, in the past, like Marco Tardelli is obviously the, you know, the one that everybody remembers, but there's a lot of them if you dig deep enough. Yeah, I think like with someone like Pele, you think of him in terms of like winning World Cups and stuff, but I don't think, well, obviously Ronaldo and Messi are, are unlikely to win yeah. World Cups <clears throat> in their in their careers. And they'll be the, the players that we remember from this generation. And we will remember them for their Champions League wins and their Ballon d'Or wins rather than for their World Cup wins. But mm. it is just interesting for me that the players still have that, that sort of mythic respect for the World Cup. Do you think it's it's a release of pressure? Because I, when we talk about Lewandowski, can you imagine how much of a topic of conversation his lack of goals in a World Cup is in Poland, mm. for instance? In the same way that Lionel Messi's performances for Argentina dominate, I imagine um, the Argentinian sports press during international breaks, probably outside of them too. When you deliver for your country, you are probably, in most cases, hitting back at critics or... Um, you know, uh, diffusing a negative conversation that's been going on around you. And that's got to be pretty massive as well. It's going to feel very, very, I don't even know what the word is, but um, it must feel very freeing, I guess. And that's mm. probably why you see these moments of expression. Yeah, and I felt like he played better after he got the goal. Hundred percent. Yeah. Can yeah. I can I bring in Josh Sargent at this point? <laughs> Please do. Because I spoke to You've Josh. You've been waiting the whole show. <laughs> this you? is the I didn't think it would come up. Um, I spoke to Josh Sargent. You before. spoke to Josh Sargent I did, like in real real life. Wow. Can I just say he's a lovely guy? I expect he is. He is a really lovely guy. I spoke to him before he left Norwich to join up with the US. It was his final game. Uh, in which he scored, by the way. Um, but there was a, a line in there about what it would mean to to him to play at the World Cup, and it. He just emphasised the fact that it was the chance to just operate on a higher, bigger stage than would otherwise happen, bearing in mind he played in the Premier League last season. Yeah. And I think there's just that, now, you know, my cynical Norwich journalist hat is like, oh yeah, you're going to, you know, score a couple of goals and get a move. <laughs> and I think there is that element of whatever they can do at the World Cup as well. For any player uh, at any, any country, you've got an opportunity to show something special that will... Um, be seen by a, a wider, far wider audience than normal, but also potentially opens doors, doesn't it, to what could happen next? I think I think this is the the key point: is that you know when you strip it all away and you realise that you are going to die, legacy is really all that matters to people. Even if they think they don't care about legacy, I think most people they start to think about it. What will I be remembered for? Yeah. It doesn't necessarily matter how much uh, money you have, how much uh, material success you have. If you will be remembered for something, that seems to be a kind of currency that you can take with you into the grave, you know? And I expect with footballers, doing something at the World Cup, hmm. that's the, I mean, that's the, it's, it's just, it's the biggest possible audience. And whether or not regular football fans, who are domestic football fans, or, you know, footballers see the World Cup as the, the highest tier of the game. It's probably, it's probably not in terms of the quality of the football, for example, but it certainly is in terms of its 
cultural uh, position yeah. and also just purely the size of the audience and the scale of people's feeling for it. It's a great point because actually you remember stuff from World Cups much easier. Yeah. Like seasons, domestic seasons run into one another. Yeah. You just, it's, that's just a way of it, the sheer volume of football. But like, I can recall a lot of stuff from all the World Cups I've been uh, alive for. And so when you score a goal or yeah. do something really important, Nobody can ever take that away from you. And you become yeah. an indelible part of, of the game's conscious. Almost. And it's every four years. I yeah. mean, we had this yeah, conversation yeah. earlier this year or last year, whenever it was, the idea of increasing the, the regularity of the World Cup. I think one of the reasons you remember it is because it's very, very special. Yeah. Because it happens only only once uh, once ever so often. Now, listen, what, do you, what do you want to be remembered for? What do you want your legacy to be, Joe? Oh, well... We don't have enough time for me to <laughs> discuss my manifesto today, but I'll bring it with me for another live <laughs> show. And the I'll tell you, you beat me at chess. Is that <laughs> yeah. your legacy? <laughs> I, to the do world? you know what? I'd already forgotten that. That's how little <laughs> it means to me. Now, listen. Uh, let's uh, move on uh, and just to talk about this group in general, because I'll tell you at the moment the, the current state of affairs: Poland on four points, Argentina on three points, Saudi Arabia on three points, Mexico on one point. This group, Michael Bailey, is wide open going into the third game. What are your expectations? It's going to be fun. Um, I, I mean, it's it's difficult, isn't it? Because Poland-Argentina should, should, should be a really interesting game. Yeah. Um, but they could both probably not do with drawing it, I guess. So they're, they're in a really difficult position. Uh, I expect people on the touchline will be feeding the latest score to all the sure. players, to Messi, just Messi, and yes. then he can deal with it for the, from there and just take that on his shoulders. Um it, it's it's I, I don't know no I've I don't got know. no idea what's gonna but it's gonna be fun to, it's gonna be so fun to it's watch it's gonna be fun yeah yes. okay well we'll leave it with that now listen uh, before uh, we go and play points are bad a couple of things for you Michael but the first is for me to present you with a book look at this book here oh, that is this lovely. book is called how to watch football <clears throat> 52 rules for understanding the beautiful game on and off the pitch. Now, whilst you don't what need you this because <laughs> right. you're a qualified journalist I thought maybe you would, would want to gift it to someone and then tell the podcast listeners and viewers about how good it is just right now, immediately. Oh, it looks like it's taken so much wonderful work by incredibly talented people. Yes. Um, I can just have a flick through here and um, uh, do watch the lines, for example. So all about the pitch markings, which I, I hadn't really ever thought about, but I know I now need to really double check and uh, and, and delve into. I, I, I'm gonna, can I go now just to read this? You, no, because I have more questions okay. to ask you. <laughs> Thank you but so this, much. That's such a lovely present. If Thank you're you. watching that or listening to this and thinking, well, I'd love to get my hands on whatever Michael Bailey's going cuckoo for, uh, then uh, you should head into your local Waterstones if you have a, if such a thing exists. There's one in Norwich. Near where you are. There's one in Norwich. Yes. Look at that. Get on down to the Waterstones in Norwich. That sounds like a good place to be. Or, of course, if you live in a place where there isn't a Waterstones, I, I don't I don't know. I don't know how far the... Uh, <laughs> the Wasserstein, exactly. Uh, <laughs> the Wasserstein in Hamburg. If you're in Germany, head to Wasserstein <laughs> in Hamburg. And you might see uh, Seb loitering around there, of course. How to Watch Football <laughs> by Tifo Football. Please do check that out. And, of course, it's available online too. But head, it, head in to your local fascist dines. Now, um, I've got a couple of questions for you. Should I stop holding it up now? That's yeah. Thank okay. you very much. You did a good thank job you. there, though. You did yeah, very well Excellent prop person. Good posture with, um, with the book. Two quick questions for you, Michael Bailey. Um, the second one, a bit longer. Uh, first one, what's your favourite game so far? Good question. Let's have a think. Um, I, I enjoyed Wales-Iran because mm. there was a lot of jeopardy in that game. I love jeopardy. Um, and it was a lot of fun. And um, I, I think uh, Portugal-Ghana probably as well was... Was um, was just kind of all over the place. Sure, so, sure. Yeah, one of those. I was going to ask you another question, but it'll take a lot longer, and tonally it feels weird. So I'm just going to move past it and uh, go straight 
to points are bad. Should we play points are bad, everyone? Really yeah, except you, headphones. Michael Bailey. Unfortunately, you can't play. But um, listen, <laughs> JJ has sent me his um, his uh, notifications. Uh, we, oh, he sent me a picture of himself as well. Yes. There you go. He sent me a nice picture of himself looking all sad. That's funny. But we've got his uh, his notifications now. Right, fine. So, points are bad. Let me tell you how we all did on this day, which was day seven. Was it day seven? Good Lord. Look at that. They fly by, don't they? Day We're seven. here with our headphones on waiting for the song. Oh, the song. The song. I'm not very good at my job. Let's put the headphones on. Key it, uh, DJ Jamie. be a good radio dj i reckon when your voice just came in over the music there it just sounded uh, you know and jamie would be a great radio technician because he knew when to dip huh mm. he's heard it all before faded that out really nicely didn't he, he? did he did a good yeah. job well done jamie hey hey big thumbs up from jamie great job jamie now listen let's play points are bad uh points are bad they are very very bad um but today they're not that bad for seb stafford Bloor, who is uh, in second place. I'm so sorry. Oh. I built that up a little bit. And it wasn't on purpose. It's because I didn't see that JJ had a, a lower score than you for today. If Seb had a good day on points of bad, he'd beat Seb Stafford four points. Yeah. But actually, did you're he, Seb Stafford four? five today. Oh. And it's JJ Bull on the four. Um, John, you've had a, a shocker insofar as you're joining me in last place on seven, which I, was not so bad. You know, seven's not bad. It's a pretty, pretty good day all around. The point's getting really tight there now, Michael. Really tight. Now, we'll discuss... Um, <laughs> we'll discuss... Let me just quickly tell you, I got a, I got a perfect score prediction. Argentina and Mexico are predicted correctly. Yeah, and uh, only one other correct prediction. Oh, two. Uh, Seb, you predicted Tunisia, Australia, exactly right. And uh, JJ predicted France, Denmark, exactly right. John, no such luck for you today. But, of course, that means John and I, in last place, get to go first. John, I will give you the honours, because almost every other day I'm going first. Uh, let us discuss. These are quite tricky. It's quite a tricky day for predictions, I think. I think I agree with you. So it's a good day to go first mm. for you. Um, Japan, Costa Rica is where we begin. Oh. I almost don't want to go first, but... Indeed. I feel like I've gone too high on most of my predictions. I think that's why you've got so many points, yes. yes. Um, but I feel as though Japan are going to be much better than Costa Rica. So right. I'm going to go 3-0, because I think that's a good, like a sweet spot between 2-0 and 4-0. I'm only one point if I get it wrong. <laughs> okay, fine. Uh, Japan, I think Costa Rica are going to surprise, yeah, by scoring a goal. I'm going to say this is going to be a 2-1 of Japan Costa Rica. Seb, you are next. I'm going to say 3-0 Japan. Three, you, I mean, uh, John quite literally just said that about one metre in front of you. So. <laughs> I was not listening. I was busy looking at tomorrow's fixtures. I will say 2-0 Japan. 2-0 Japan. <laughs> okay. Now, uh, JJ, of course, is the winner today, is in last place. So for Japan, he says 2-0, can't have. 1-0, he can have. He's he just goes for low scores. Yeah, that's it's how so he miserable. wins the game. That's, that's why he, he won the win life, though, does he? Well, he's, doing I mean, that. his winning points are bad. I told you this at the beginning of the tournament. JJ will just predict low scores in order to, if he messes up, what's the likelihood of it being 5-0? Very low. 
But as, if I, is, as I well know, glorious. that's why I always I go for five mil. I live yeah. in hope. Well, listen, John, you're, uh, you're about to live in hope uh, in a very real way with Belgium and Morocco. This is a horrible one to predict. Very tough. Belgium were awful in the first game. Ooh, Morocco they're a bit stodgy. quite good. Mm. So I'm going to go 2-1 to Belgium. 2-1 to Belgium. Okay. I don't know what to say here. I mean, I suppose I'm going to say 1-1. One, one. Oh. Yeah. I think, I think Belgium were poor. I think Belgium will pull. Seb, what do you think? 2-0 Morocco. 2-0 two, two Morocco. Yeah, I think Morocco do them. Yeah. That is a big shot. And I tell you what, if he's correct he's there. He's only got 1-0. He's got 2-0. No. Seb can really, he I literally really like has. Morocco. Yeah. He hasn't gone 3-0. No, he's gone 2-0. Or 4-0. Or 4-0. Or 6-0. Makes you think, doesn't he's it? He's gone 2-0. And JJ Ball, the bullet, uh, he requested 1-1, one, one, which is taken. Uh, he requested 1-2. He's only written Belgium, so I'm assuming 1-2 means 2-1 to Morocco. Yeah. yeah. So we'll give him, okay. Well, that could go well for me if it goes to the, actually, it doesn't make a difference. It's, only two. it's so prescient though, isn't it? It's, it's like he's heard it? Seb's good call and he's gone to block it with a one in there. Mm. Fine. Uh, the next game we're discussing is Croatia, Canada. JJ in the chat saying he does live a uh, win at life. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not so sure. I don't know. I don't want to go into details, no, but I feel like it would be inappropriate to do that on a live stream. But. I hear a chuckling from producer Jamie in the background. <laughs> <laughs> oh, be careful, Jamie. Uh, he's in tomorrow. Okay, uh, John, let's begin with you. Croatia, Canada. Also this quite a tough another hard one. one, isn't it? Yeah, they're all hard. It's not, oh my God, there's a really exciting game next I didn't notice. We'll get to that though. Okay. I'm going to go... Croatia, Canada. Oh, 2-1 to Croatia. Okay, I'm all about Canada here. I'm all about Canada. I'm going for a 1-2 mm. Can uh, Canada to win. Uh, Seb Staffelblor. 2-0. 2-0 Croatia. 2-0 Croatia. Yeah. Okay. It's interesting that Seb, all three of Seb's predictions so far have been 2-0. <laughs> I wonder, have you, have you, is your brain still working on that? I'm in, yeah. He's just right. glitching, isn't he? He's, he's like, glitching. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, uh, JJ thinks 1-0 to Canada. Okay. Uh, so there we so go. There's another one where I could pull back a few points. It's a straight split on the last two. That's how tight these games are. That's how difficult they are to predict. Um, Seb and JJ going one way, John and I going another. So if today's anything to go <laughs> yeah, by, John. I'm a bit worried. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> points are bad. But we're not, we're not gambling on results. We're gambling on goals scored. That's exactly. That's the way I look at it. That, that and is, you look at it that way too, don't you? That's how the game like, You're works. A smart man. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I'm losing. Uh, John, Spain, Germany. Oh, this is. What a big game, yeah. though. Oh. Surely I'm Germany gonna go, are going to surprise, aren't they? That's how that, isn't that how it works? And they've in got life. a win as well. Yeah. Oh, and JJ's going to say Spain win. So if I want to catch him up. You're right inside your own head now. It's only day seven. I'm locked. I'm locked in. Um, I'm going to go Spain 2 0. Spain 2 0. You're predicting Germany out? Okay, fine. I'm going to say it's going to be Germany 2 1. Uh, Seb Staffelblor. Germany 1-0. You think Germany 1-0? Yeah. Wow, you predict Spain not to score at all. Okay. Yeah, I like Germany tomorrow. That is interesting. And JJ has asked for, he says, 1-1, one, one, which is available. So JJ gets his first pick there. Well, very exciting. How about that, hey? Uh, now, let us look at the grand totals for day, uh, well, as of day seven. There's uh, developing a bit of a gap now. The gap between first and last was only 10. 
uh, yesterday. It's 13 now, uh, and that's because I'm on 60 points in last place. Points are bad, remember, Michael points Bailey? Are bad. Okay. Points are bad. You, d- you don't want points. I thought you were doing really so well. <laughs> the Thank first you, rule yeah. of points are bad is points are bad. Yeah, bad. very, very bad. Um, Seb Staffer-Bloor, you've made some ground, but sadly not enough. You have gained a couple of points on second place to John. Okay. You're on 56. That's good. John's on 52. But of course, John, yesterday there was only two points between you and JJ. And now there's five, which is one of the, that's the biggest growth gap of all. JJ pulling ahead there, having a very, very good day with just the four points. Now, if we look at the last couple of days, he's doing well, isn't he? Yeah. We all have to, at some point, do an alliance against him. How? Um, I, we could, we could really hurt him. (laughs) We, could, we, we could, just need to not talk about it. So I mean, to be fair, points, right? I could have not reminded him this yeah, was happening yeah. and he would have gained 20 points. But that's not who we are, guys. Yes, it is. We're, we're more creative in how we sabotage. Now, uh, that's the end of today's episode. Let me say a resounding thank you to Mr. Michael Bay. And I think a round of applause, Michael yes. Bay. Oh, 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 look at that. Goodness. Yeah, just seven eyes. I clap okay. myself. Bit of a slow. Like a, like a footballer. Great yeah. work, team. Yeah. There's a bit of a slow uptake on the clap, yeah, wasn't it? Was I got one. Hard to know if people meant that. Um, Seb Stafford-Bloor, thank you very much for thank joining you, us. Joe Devine. We'll thank see you, you again much. tomorrow. Oh, we're clapping everyone. Yeah, hey, look at this. That feels wonderful. That does feel yeah, nice. that feels it? really yeah. nice. Yeah. John McKenzie, well done today. Yes, yes. And of course me, Joe Devine. <laughs> We've all had a collective idea there, haven't we? It's gone to plan. I'm happy about that because that is the funniest thing that could happen. But also, Get wrecked, at Joe. the same time, I'm disappointed. This is your legacy, not being clapped at the end of this show. Oh, I'm, I'm so proud of us as a team. <laughs> we did exactly the right thing, but it hurts so much. I thought it was going to happen to oh. me. I'm just so proud it happened to you. Well, thanks to uh, producer Craig and producer Jamie as well over there. They've done a fantastic job today. And uh, we ah, see, the correct thing to do would have been to clap again. But we didn't. We didn't clap, did we? No, we'll get better next time. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow with JJ Ball. And we've got some special guests coming uh, later in the the week as well. Very exciting. Very exciting also, guests. look out on uh, T4RL. You'll see a Michael Bailey special coming up, uh, hopefully, in the next few days. Very excited about that one, Michael Bailey. Excellent. Yes, yes. Fine. Uh, but for now... Our feet are sane, and uh, we shall return on the morrow. 